You've heard of BetaShares. You've probably seen the logo on our podcast. You might even be among their 1 million investors. So you can imagine that I'm delighted to say BetaShares is the official ETF partner of the Australian Finance Podcast. With nearly 100 exchange-traded funds, you can go to betashares.com.au and immerse yourself in ETFs and unique insights covering all of the sectors, themes, core and satellite positions you could want. Think cybersecurity through the Hack ETF, robotics and AI with the RBTZ ETF, and uranium with the URNM ETF. The list goes on. To explore the BetaShares ETF range, visit betashares.com.au, read the relevant PDS and TMD on the website, and consider if the fund is right for you. BetaShares Capital Limited is the issuer. Is there a Spotify wrapped for investing? If you want to invest in shares or ETFs, our friends at Perla are more than one step ahead of the curve. On average, people who use Perla invest $1,750 every month. That's what we want to see, proper dollar cost averaging. With automated investing tools making your life simple, Perla investors have well and truly mastered the art of investing small bits lots of times. So if you're ready to start growing your net worth in 2024, follow the link in your Spotify or Apple podcast player right now to discover how you can get started today. Welcome to the Australian Finance Podcast. I'm Kate Campbell. And I'm Owen Rusk. And we're here to give you the tools and knowledge to invest both your time and money better. If you're new, feel free to jump in with our Starter Pack series that aired in early 2022 or our Shares or ETF mini series. We've got plenty to share with you in today's episode, but if you want to catch us on socials, head to Rusk Australia on Insta and Twitter. I'm also found at Kate Campbell AUS on Insta. And I'm Owen Rusk AU on Insta. Just beware of the fake accounts. We'll never DM you about trading strategies or crypto. And if it sounds a bit weird, it's probably not us. And just one final heads up before we get into the show. This podcast contains general financial information only. Kate Campbell, welcome to this episode of the Australian Finance Podcast. It is wonderful to be back, Owen, to share some of our and many people's investing mistakes that stop them getting started. Yep. And, you know, a lot of the mistakes that we make in investing, we typically replicate some other way in our money life as well. So, we'll be covering 10 of these over two episodes. Over two episodes. So, you're going to have to tune into the next episode this week for Mm -hmm. the rest of the list. Yes. I, for one, Kate, have made many of these mistakes. So, uh, I'm happy to enter the confessional of the Australian Finance Podcast and share these with others in the hope that perhaps they might avoid some of the mistakes. And it's worth noting that many of us will continue repeating these mistakes. Like we learn from them, but we still make mistakes as the years go on. Even the expert investors that Owen interviews on the Investors Podcast after Mm. investing for 30 years still make mistakes or make the wrong call or make the wrong decision. should call it the Australian Mistakes Podcast because there are so many that we make as investors. Uh, It doesn't matter if you're advanced or if you're a beginner or you haven't even started yet. In fact, even by not starting, I said this uh, in a recent live show that uh, the number one mistake people actually make with investing is not start not starting because that actually has shown historically to per- make the like have the biggest impact, negative impact on your wealth. And you don't give yourself the opportunity to learn and yeah. make the mistakes that you're going to grow from. Yeah, that's actually not in our ten, but it's just something else that we've just added on here. Yes. Um, but these are just some of the reasons why you know there are so many things that you can do right, but there are equally so many things you can do wrong. 
and it's just finding a balance because you'll never have 100% of one or the other. Um, yeah. But we're going to cover a lot of the, I guess, behavioral elements of Yeah. And many of the things we talk about today are often things that stop people getting started. So that's mm. why I think it's super important to address them. And I've actually been talking a lot in the office with Evan Lucas recently about getting rid of the word perfect because many of us try to approach investing and other things we do in life with the mentality that it has to be perfect before we get started or move to the next step. And we were just trying to say we should just eliminate that word from our vocabulary because you're never going to have all the information when investing. You're never going to have the perfect solution. Or there could be a perfectly oh, – now I'm using it again. There could be a <laughs> – another great option like with ETFs there's some mm. that are so similar that do the same thing that you could choose one or choose the other and have very similar results and both would be a good choice but if you get stuck trying to decide which one is the perfect one in air quotes you might never start and so it's more important to make a decision and move forwards yeah absolutely the uh I guess the idea of perfect is what drives a lot of the finance profession. So a lot of experts will claim that they've got the perfect portfolio. Um, and time and time again, I'm reminded why that just doesn't exist. You can have like very close to good. You can have very good, uh, very close to perfect for some people, which you might have like the Vanguard diversified ETFs for people that don't really want to know too much about the stock market, but they know they need to do it. Um, but even there, there's like four of them. So or maybe even five. So there's a few different options. Uh, and, you know, even the, the biggest investment company in the world or second biggest investment company in the world says there isn't one that does it for everyone. So there's no perfect plan. There's no perfect portfolio. Um, it's kind of like mixture, mixing your behavior with what we know in the facts and the figures. And that's what makes investing. But Kate, let's get stuck into number one. Yes. Number one is investing without a plan or a decision making process. So you don't actually have a framework you follow. This is one of the biggest things that I've learned over the past sort of seven years investing is it's really important to write some things down. And it doesn't have to be a 10-page document about why you chose to invest in this certain ETF or this certain company, but you do need to write down at least what it is, some of the key information and why you've chosen to invest in it at that point in time because then it really slows down that decision-making process because it stops you going straight onto your brokerage account and pressing buy on something that your friend told you about or you saw on the, the finance news mm. last night. It actually makes you pause and go, okay, I can't press buy until I go through this thought process that I've set for myself beforehand. And that it can be as simple as just having a note on your phone there where you just write what it is, the date, and some of the reasons why you've decided to make this investment. Mm. It's, it can be as simple as like what you write anywhere. I find that um, the best investors have a journal. Like, And I don't mean just like professional investors. I actually mean like individuals. Just a very simple journal. It might even be your normal journal. I mean, it's not ideal, but if you do a journal every night, you might say you made an investment and just scribble down a couple of paragraphs of here's why I made this investment. Just start somewhere. We actually, for our members, we have a like a DIY investment guide. And this is important, and we'll get to this in a, a few moments, but this is important because it actually tells you a bit about, you know, like that, that general North Star. What does it look like? Where is it? And how do I find it? And as you said, it allows you to kind of like watch all of the, the news, that, that transient news that goes past every day. And you can just watch it and be like, I'm just going over here. Um, and that's what makes it so powerful. The thing that I realized when I say these things or when we say these things, Kate, 
about building a plan is a lot of people don't know what to put in it. And the answer to that is don't try and overcomplicate it. Just put, write down whatever's on your mind. Uh, and it's actually that habit and that self-reflection which will make you a better investor, not necessarily calculating like to four decimal places, this, that, or the other. Um, but it definitely will make you a better investor if you write down why you're doing something and what your big picture is. And a great part of having this plan is you can use it to improve your decision-making process because at the start, when everything's new and everything mm. looks shiny and exciting and overwhelming, you are making decisions out of just little bits of information you have. But as you learn more about investing and you take steps and make mistakes, if you do make mistakes, that's okay, but you can go back to this document and reflect on those decisions you did make and learn from them. So you could go, okay, I bought this investment. I wrote down the reason I bought it was because my friend told me about it. Okay, that's that's valid. That's the reason why a lot of people make an investment. And you can go, oh, it didn't go so well. Mm. What happened? Okay, I didn't understand what the company did. I didn't realize that the product didn't exist yet. I just bought it because I heard about the hype of the product and the technology of the future. But if I'd gone onto the company's website, I would have realized it's still in development mode. They didn't have any sales. They didn't have any products that existed. So this can be a good tool to go back and go, okay, well, next time before I buy a company, I'm going to make sure I understand what they do. I'm going to make sure that something exists, yeah. whatever that learning or insight is for you. Uh, it could be like my simple one is, Kate, like, uh, yeah, really good examples there. My simple one is... um like for the core of my portfolio is just to have those seven or so ETFs and automate that. That is literally my plan. And I don't really have to revisit, revisit that that often, but it's more the satellite stuff and the individual stocks and all those types of things, which I do constantly like write down. And I do journal every night. It's actually in the journal that you got me, um, the blue one, which is quite good. And uh, I use that journal and I just write down what's on my mind for the mm. next day. And uh, it's a really simple process of like okay reflecting on okay i have this idea right now i might invest in this thing and i might just put down one or two sentences and then i might come back i might not make that decision straight away so i might come back to it three or four days later and then if it's still in my journal then i know that's probably something that i'm quite interested in it's like the old 48 hour rule or 24 hour rule sleep on it rule whatever you want to call it yeah and you can apply this framework to purchasing decisions as well yeah Absolutely. Which to avoid making a impulse purchase decision for maybe something quite costly. If you're going to buy a new iPad, mm. maybe yeah. you can write down a few reasons why you want to buy it, why you want to buy it brand new versus getting a secondhand one off Gumtree, whatever your thought process is there. And then you can come back to it a few days later and say, is this still something I want to buy? Am I going to save for it? Am I going to put some plans in place for that? Mm. Absolutely. So you can use a Google document, which is probably the easiest way to do it. It's free. Just um, spin it up and say, my investment journal. You can have like a date. You can have what you invested in and why. Uh, and then it's just a, it's a, a repository where you can go back and you can pull it out. It is fascinating to go back and look oh, yeah. at this stuff over oh. time and go, how did Kate of seven years ago think and five years ago think? And what did her finances look like then? And what were her goals? And they're so different to Kate of now, but they're still... There's overarching themes you can see come through. I remember looking back at some of my stuff because I did it publicly as well, like through the Motley Fool and then through <laughs> Rask and, oh, wow. I, I realized that I focused on so many things when I was making my investments in the early days that were just like transient, myopic, short-term things. Like it would be like, oh, I think this has like a low price earnings ratio, like a 
PE ratio. Or I think like, oh, cloud computing sounds fun. This company looks like it does that. And I was like, 24 hours later, I've changed my mind because that thing wasn't actually like a real thing. But at least I learned that mis- like mistake by actually looking and realizing, okay, I journaled. So that wasn't a mistake. The journaling was a good thing, but it's actually, I realized what I was putting in there was a, a way to be, as you said before, kind of iterate. But there was something you mentioned before, Kat, and I'm actually going to jump to something different. Our fourth thing on the list, is actually our second, given that we're just recording it now, is actually following the hype. Mm. So having the plan allows you to avoid this, but why is this a mistake? Well, many of us have probably experienced this over the last few years, especially mm-hmm. during the uh, trials and tribulations of 2020 and 2021. But examples like Dogecoin or GameStop or cryptocurrencies, cryptocurrencies, popular thematics. I know like robotics was really hot for a while and lithium and marijuana stocks. Following hypes is a, a trap that both new and experienced investors can fall into. And that's can be a reason that our plan gets derailed, mm. especially if we don't have anything written down where we feel this intense desire to jump in because we're going to miss out on something. We're going to miss out on the potential of doubling our money overnight or making our million dollars with everyone else that's reported in the news of becoming a millionaire overnight. And I remember having conversations with friends and family about all sorts of different investments that they'd seen on the news and Often it's the time it gets to the news that the people at the start have made the money and then the public gets involved and it can become a massive bubble and people are just pouring money in, not knowing what they're investing in, but just wanting Mm. to get in before the music stops. And it's kind of like a game of musical chairs where the music does stop eventually because people move on to the next thing. Like humans, we get bored. We move on to the next exciting idea and people are left holding that investment yeah. or if you, you hold the bag as they say on Twitter. The bag. they're not always investments I, w- I would argue but they're left holding something when no one else wants it anymore and then they're forced to sell it at a very low price yeah holding something is a good way to phrase it because i'm still concerned that people think cryptocurrencies are an investment even now uh it boggles the mind um but there's there's actually this is actually not a new thing so these types of like hype cycles or manic cycles um, and the way that they're exploited, it's actually called the Herald effect. So back in the day when the only real source of news for investors was the the Herald or the paper, um, people would find out about it once once it's printed in the Herald. And those people are the people who get sucked in and, and push the price higher. But the people who kind of were on trend or before trend, those people were the ones that made the money. And that's where it comes back to the whole idea of like, if it's so good, why are you telling me about it? Well, I'm telling you about it, so you go and buy it. And then I'll sell at that time, uh, which we now know is illegal in a few different ways, but it still happens like with these giant um, like rallies and things. We saw uh, GameStop during the COVID kind of era where uh, the Reddit community really took to short sellers. Uh, So GameStop is like EB Games for the US and uh, they wanted to su- their business to survive. And so they pushed up the price. And because there were short sellers betting against it, those short sellers had to what we call cover, meaning that they had to buy more shares at higher prices, which then pushed it up even further. And it just spiraled up and up and up. But then the people who th- heard about it in the news, I remember I was actually at a funeral and I got a call from a journalist saying, hey, do you want to talk about this GameStop thing? Um, I can't remember where it was, but um, 
I was like, okay, I'll call you back later. And by the time I called back, they're like, oh, no, we've had about four other people comment on it. It's all good. Um, but then, like, within a couple of days, the share price had fallen like 70% or something like this. And um, the people who bought in based on what they read in the news have lost, like, heaps of money. There's a thing, there's a Netflix doco now that touches on it as well. <laughs> there's a Netflix documentary on everything. Yeah, everything but these days. I guess to avoid falling into the the mistake of following in the hype, it's it's important to remember what kind of investor you are. And Owen and I talk a lot on the show about investing for the long-term, long-term wealth creation. And we mean long-term, much more than a day, a month or a year. We're thinking five to 10 years in the future at minimum. Absolutely. And how can we invest our money for that period of time? And if what we're investing in is something that people are just jumping in and out of within a 24-hour news cycle, that probably doesn't fall into our long-term investment strategy. So if you feel like you're getting sucked into one of these because your dad's told you about it or the person at work, going back to that plan we spoke about at the start and going, does this fit within my long-term investment plan, if that is what you're working towards? Is this investment on my list of things I'm Mm. investing in? If it's not, okay, well, I'm going to do some research. I'm going to find out what it does. Can I explain it to my best friend? Mm, Absolutely. Um, Explaining even the most basic things to a friend is so important because it actually allows you to check on your own knowledge and go back to the drawing board. One final thing about following the hype, and this is quite a, it's a bit of a dig from Warren Buffett, our friend, Mr. Buffet, who said that um, there are three I's in investing. There's the innovators, there's the imitators, and then finally you have the idiots. And you don't want to be the third eye um, because you end up in that situation where you don't actually know what's going on and you're just following the emotional side of things. So definitely take your time, step back, and one of the lessons that we have uh, is actually, which is the third one, it's actually a mistake, which is um, becoming a collector, Kate. People often end up, whether they're, they've just got all these different things that they've purchased over years, and once again, it comes back to having that plan. People end up just holding bits of everything. I think I spoke about this a little while ago. I don't know if you remember. Yes. Yeah. You talked about it with the Rask Invest members. Although I didn't know if you came up with that term yourself. No, I actually got it from a journalist in the US who um, worked for Morningstar. Uh, because I was trying to find, when I was trying to put together our DIY investment plan, I was trying to find where, like, what do people currently use? And what I realized is that this is actually one of the reasons that. Um, the idea of an investment portfolio statement or IPS or investment plan was made was because everyone just became collectors. Like when the stock market really proliferated, everyone just buy everything. Yeah, It's so much easier to buy stuff than it is to actually know why you own it. So they just go and buy it. And they just ended up with like some people would have hundreds of stocks. And that's very hard to manage. And you'll end up having your portfolio look like my bookshelf, right? Just keep collecting books. And I have no plan to ever get rid of any of them because I just want them all. But you don't want your portfolio to look like that because your portfolio is the thing you want to create wealth. It's not the art on your wall. No, no, no. But your bookshelves do look very good, I might add. But um, yeah, you don't really have your share certificates hanging on the wall and try and make something out of it. I would... Uh, it's a very common thing. I'd say that most people listening to this have been in this situation where they collect investments and they don't really know why it happened to me. It's like you end up with like 20 stocks and you're like, okay, I don't really know what a lot of them do. I've got a couple of ETFs in there. Yeah, I imagine there's plenty of people listening. Oh, yeah. They I, would have I'm definitely 20, a collector with ETFs. my US investments, which is a very tiny part of my satellite, but uh, it's just 
grown into a bit of a collection that I've just kind of got <laughs> on the side, separate to everything else. Yeah, yeah. And that's okay. Like, you can do this. I think this is why some people should have two different brokerage accounts so they can quarantine yeah. their core portfolio and oh. that's like taken care of. You've absolutely got to keep it. Yeah, separate. That's not fun separate. money. That's like life-changing money. And then on the other side, you might have your satellite investments where you take a bit more risk. Maybe you do include things like more speculative stuff like cryptocurrencies uh, or GameStop, if you're so inclined, I definitely wouldn't, but you could do that sort of stuff. Um, and you have those little, maybe you have micro investments or whatever. Um, but still, I think most people overall become collectors. Mm. And I know if subscribing to stock research services and having yeah. worked for a company in the past that had that, there's the tendency to every time there's a new piece of research come out or I read something, oh, that's such an interesting company. And then I talk to someone about it and like in the past, I would, oh, I'll just grab yeah. a piece of that and I'll add a piece of that. And so that's one way that people do end up in this collector situation where they've got a whole range of different companies and not really one cohesive strategy that pulls every investment together. Yeah, well, that's so that's a difference between like a financial planner and one of those newsletters. So like I obviously work for The Motley Fool, which is a great place to work and they do such great work. Um, but I would get so excited because all these super smart analysts around me, I'd be like, oh, well, they've just recommended zero or altium or apple or google or whatever shares that they think is good and i read their updates and by the end of it i'm like i'm gonna buy this thing <laughs> because like it's so like they're not deliberately trying to be like positive and only positive but you get you you understand and you can see what the analyst sees and you're like oh wow this sounds like a really good opportunity for me how could i possibly let this go and uh it's only when you realize like there's new ideas coming at you every day <laughs> that you realize that you can't own them all yeah, and you might realize you've got quite a lot of overlap. Like some people we've spoken to in the past, they might yeah. have bought five different thematic ETFs plus a bunch of core ETFs. And when they finally look at the whole portfolio together, there's ETFs that significantly overlap with the same holdings. So the investments inside that ETF are similar to another ETF or another two ETFs in their portfolio. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like you. The two of the most popular, which are VGS and IVV, the international shares, or in Australia, you've got VAS and IOZ or something like that. So much overlap in those. And we actually have some members that write into us after they've, this is not a plug for our membership service, but you can join if you want, it's 10 bucks a month. Um, a lot of members write in and say, well, until I saw what you're saying, I did have like 15 ETFs thinking that more is better, like more mm. is diversified, when really, it's not actually about that at all. It's actually just made, they would have had so much overlap that you would look at that portfolio of 15 different ETFs and you'd be like, well, these three things do like 20% of the same stuff and those four are like almost identical. Yeah, um, and it's something easily you can fall into, especially when you're learning and starting your portfolios. Mm. You're learning about the ASX 200 and so you buy a couple of ASX 200 or ETFs that do similar things. And then yeah. down the track, you might decide, okay, well, this is the one I'm going to proceed with. So I'm going to focus my efforts onto this ETF because that's part of my portfolio now. And I'm not going to just keep adding to sporadically to 10 different ETFs. I remember when I started, Kate, I started with the VTS ETF from Vanguard. And then the, the whole tax form thing, filling that out, didn't really sit well with me. So then I moved to the IVV ETF. Uh, in the core of my portfolio... I started with A200 and now I've got VAS. And these types of things happen. I think there are plenty of mistakes around this, but I I realized that, you know, it's okay to change. And particularly when you're in that early phase, like don't be hard on yourself. If you don't have a plan, you you think you are the collector in the room, perfectly fine. 
And it's much easier to change at the beginning when maybe you only have one or $2,000 in each ETF. So any tax event is going to be less significant. Whereas if you've invested $100,000 into multiple ETFs and you realize they're overlapping, well, that might be the time where you go, okay, I want to speak to my accountant or financial advisor to work out the best strategy moving forwards because I might be paying quite a bit of tax if I make a decision to sell something at this point. Well, that's why we always say start small, right? Yeah. Because the mistakes will be cheaper and uh, the lessons learned won't be as painful. But And that's there- why it's so good to start with just $50 or $100 because you get to make those mistakes, which we all make with small amounts of money, mm. instead of going, oh, I've got $50,000, I'm going to throw it all in, which is something we, we don't recommend doing. No. We really recommend small bits lots of times. The reason, so a lot of financial planners will say, yeah, just put it all in. And the reason why they say that is because they built the portfolio that's right for you, they think it's right for you, whereas most people don't do that. That's why we avoid we say don't do that. Yeah, for people listening and figuring it out for yeah. themselves, you want to approach it quite yeah. slowly and regret minimization <laughs> with small steps, so you can figure it out as you go along. Absolutely. So, just some questions you might want to put in your plan, or just to think about before becoming a collector, is um, what's my long-term financial goal? What is my investment strategy? What will I invest in to achieve my goals? ETFs, shares, whatever. How will I manage my taxes? You know that. Tax on ETF is paid when you get that statement in July or August each year for each ETF. Um, or for dividends, you might use like ShareSite to track your portfolio. Uh, how many positions do I want to hold or will I hold? Maybe you only want five ETFs, maybe you want 10. And when will I rebalance? Typically, a lot of professionals rebalance their portfolios when it's out of balance by 5%. So meaning that, like say, the shares in your, the share ETFs are 5% more than you thought they would be at the start. So those are just some prompts that you can put into your... Um, plan but Kate another one that we've got is as a risk or sorry not as a risk as a mistake is people focusing too much on costs and fees I think it's reasonable to to like to think how people got to this yeah there's been a huge push in the last few years especially to educate consumers on the impact fees have on their wealth yeah. over the long term so if you're paying one or two percent uh, fees per year on your investments compared to some of the ETFs, what, 0.02% on one of them? 0.05, yeah, there's some bond ETFs, some cash ETFs that are really low like that. It's going to make a significant difference over the long term because like your investments compound, the impact the fees have also grows over time mm. because when you're paying a percentage base fee, as your investments grow, the amount of fees you pay grows because it's a percentage of your overall portfolio or investment. Yeah. Um, like we've had some great people in our industry like Barefoot Investor, Scott Pape, and many other people um, talk about the impacts of fees and how that kind of erodes your your returns over time. And it's totally true. But at the same time, there is a limit, I think, on how low fees should be. Um, and people tend to overlook that. Uh, we're at a point now, I think, in the industry where we don't really need lower fees. Mm. Probably. Like we can build a core portfolio for less than 0.2%. So it's so low, you don't even notice it. Yeah, um, and there might be a, a thematic ETF you're interested in that has slightly higher fees, but it has a place in your portfolio, or there might be a mm. more active managed fund that you've done the research on, or you might be paying fees for a financial advisor, or you might not be in the most attractive high interest savings account because you can't realistically meet those hurdles every month. So just thinking instead of finding the best possible option, maybe find the right option for you Yeah, that still has 
a good interest rate if it's a savings account or low fees if it's an ETF? Yeah, we um, we see this a lot with financial planning. A lot of people don't pay up for it, uh, even though we kind of say like the, what's the saying? Like the best advice is free because the impact of the advice outweighs the cost. Um, but you, you you can see this in some like some ETFs as well, and even it's probably more pronounced in uh, like the brokerage platforms where mm. these new brokers thought, well, everyone cares about fees and fees alone, so we'll just find the best possible way to minimise all the fees, and it's got to a point where those really super low cost brokers, at least in my opinion, are not the best brokers because their only focus was fees and now they're, by the way, ramping up their fees. Because they're struggling, struggling. to maintain the business <laughs> yeah. model. Yeah, and also they may offer models of holding your shares that we don't necessarily think are the best. And that's solely because they focused, they were like, oh, consumers only care about fees. We'll just find the lowest possible fee thing that we can do and offer it to them. And they grew that way. Mm. And now we're realizing, well, maybe that wasn't the best idea. So that would be focusing too much on costs and fees. We've got a lot of questions around this. The average ETF in Australia has a fee of around 0.5%. And that's significantly lower than the average fee on a listed investment company, which is around 0.9. And the average managed fund, which is about 1 to 1.1. So ETFs as a whole are already pretty cheap. Um, and you can build the core portfolio really cheaply, which is what we're advocating for. But then outside of that, you might want to just make sure you're getting what you want rather than just solely focusing on fees. Yeah, I wouldn't just put the filter by low to high and just pick the lowest option <laughs> yeah. from any financial product. I'd really want to focus on, is this the right option for me? Keeping in mind the impact fees do have on your wealth over the long term. Absolutely. Uh, so, Kate, we've got um, one final one, which is just investing money that you can't afford to lose. A lot of people make this mistake early on in their journey. They think... I'm just going to put this money in the stock market. Why don't I? It just makes more money. What's wrong with that? Circling back to what we mentioned earlier, investing the way we see it is a long-term decision. So you're putting money away for future you and that future you is not future you tomorrow or yeah. in a month's time. And that's why it's super important and many of us make this mistake when getting started that we don't put that three to six months worth of living expenses away in emergency fund or we're a bit frustrated that it's going to take us another year to save for a house deposit. So we think maybe we should invest that money to speed it up so we can buy a house in three months. But that's really not the time frame you want to be investing because any money that you need in the short term, so anywhere from like from tomorrow to maybe mm. in three years, you don't really want to be investing that money. No. So any that's what we say. Any money between now and three years, don't invest it. That's just a rule of thumb. People will do it anyway, but we'll, we'll say that because and, it's too random. Yeah, and the market can fall and you don't know when that's going to be. And you might invest the money and in a month's time, the market's fallen 10 or 15% and you really mm. need that money to- For a house deposit. For the house deposit and you're holiday, forced to yeah. sell your investments at a significant discount to what you bought them for. Yeah. Uh, and this happens all the time. People, you know, we heard during- some of the crazes of the last few years that people will put their house deposit in really speculative stuff, Kate. Like, I don't want to bring it up, but like cryptocurrencies and that sort of stuff, they kept on putting it in there. And I just hope and pray that that worked out for them. Um, but definitely, that's a very risky way to run your life. And, you know, we only, there's only a few ways you can really blow up your finances. And one of them is taking too short of a time horizon. The other one is taking on too much debt. Um, and so we just say, don't put money in the, the stock market or in anything for that matter if you can't afford to. 
um, be without it is probably the right, right way to think about it, to be without it for the next few years, whether it's property or whatever. Um, and we always have our emergency cash set aside. A lot of people think, and they say in the last five years, they thought, well, I got, you know, there's 10 grand sitting here in my emergency fund. Kate, no one said to have an emergency fund, but it's not earning any interest. I'll just go and put it in this ETF. I'll be fine. Well, no, you still have that. Even though you don't get interest on it, you just keep it there. Yeah. And just think of it, it plays its own role in your financial life. It doesn't need to form part of your investment portfolio. Mm. You don't need to be uh, making the most of every single dollar you have. You can put that like, well, now you're getting pretty good interest rates on high interest savings accounts. But having that money put aside is a huge part of your investment plan because it gives you that security to invest for a long period of time because you know that if anything goes wrong, you've got that break glass in case of emergency kit waiting for you so you can get back on your feet. Yes. I can imagine you're a big fan of that break glass and on the buses and that sort of stuff. Yeah. Knowing where that thing is to dunk. I know where it is, you yeah, know. Yeah. I take take yeah. notice. I Kate's read It's like the... Jason Bourne always just like <laughs> sussing the ex- exits and knowing I where things I listen to the plane safety <laughs> yeah. instructions and I look for my lights and my exits. Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. I, I do. I listen just like, I just like the presentation on the planes. Um, okay. So just to recap what we've covered so far, we've got investing without a plan. Just create a Google Doc, spin up something or just journal your ideas. It definitely makes you a better investor because it also helps you to avoid number two, becoming a collector of investments. Very common, happens especially with new investors, that's okay, but try and quarantine your money. Maybe one broker does your core, another broker does your satellite. Uh, Number three, Kate? Number three, our mistake is following the hype. So to Mm. avoid doing that, focus on coming back to that plan, remembering the why behind the reasons you're investing and making sure you can understand what that investment is. Yeah, absolutely. You got to know what it is. Even just a very basic, we don't expect you to be like a PhD of finance, but just understanding why you made the investment would be nice. Number four was focusing too much on costs and fees. We've we've got a great industry now where the fees have come right down. There's still a few excesses in the system for sure, but for the most part with like ETFs and those types of things and brokerage accounts, we're probably at a point where you can trade off, you know, maybe t- pay a tiny bit more in fees and you get probably a better broker or something like that, or a better ETF or something. And finally, Kate, number five. Investing money like your emergency fund or your house deposit that you're not prepared to lose, especially yeah. in the short term. For, sorry. Yeah, <laughs> go on. Uh, the fifth one is investing money that you can't afford to lose. So we don't want to be investing things like our emergency fund or our house deposit, things that we're going to need in the next couple of years. We want to be investing money that we're prepared to put aside for a longer period of time. And that's because the stock market typically falls one in every four years. So if you just happen to say, I'm going to do it for three years, you might pick one of those four years and there might be two of them in a row. So uh, and none of us have crystal balls. None of so us. So even yeah. the experts get the timing wrong on these things. Yes, indeed they do. Well, this is part one of the 10 common money and investing mistakes that hopefully everyone can avoid or at least you know start to avoid from here on out. We all make them. Uh, we all make mistakes. And that's perfectly fine. It's part of investing. It's part of managing money. If it was easy, you know, we'd all be millionaires. Um, but there's a lot of behavior and, you know, a lack of understanding that comes to it. Um, you can find us on social media if you do want to share your mistakes or um, share some of the things that went wrong for you. My biggest mistakes financially, Kate, have actually been investments that I avoided or that I sold. Mm-hmm. So I went back and did the numbers a few years ago and I realized that actually the mistakes I made were the investments that I bought, got impatient and sold. Not the ones where I actually watched them fall. It's all the money I missed out on. Uh, So that's one of my big ones, which I'm sure we can talk about more in the next episode. But uh, this is part one of two. Thanks for joining me.
Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Australian Finance Podcast. We hope you learned something new and were able to take one thing away from this episode. If you're keen to learn more, head on over to Rask Education and take one of our free money and investing courses. You could even become a Rask Core member for less than your Netflix subscription each month. And don't forget to subscribe for new episodes in your inbox every week. Plus, if you enjoyed the show, we'd love you to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and send any questions our way via the link in the description. And before we go on, did this podcast contain personal financial advice just for me? Absolutely not, Kate. Our podcast actually contains general financial information only. What that means is the information does not take into account your financial needs, goals, objectives, or even your situation. So because of that, it's important that you consider if the information is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on it. If that all sounds a bit confusing or you're still working out what your needs are, it's a great idea to consult a licensed and trusted financial planner. And don't forget to do your own research. Are you thinking about starting your wealth creating journey, but not sure where to put your hard earned dollars? InvestSmart can help. InvestSmart offers a free quiz that makes it easy to find the right InvestSmart ETF portfolio to help you reach your goals. Just visit investsmart.com.au and hit get started. Answer a few simple questions about your goals and how much you want to invest and you'll get a tailored statement of advice with a portfolio recommendation. You can visit investsmart.com.au for a no obligations free statement of advice. This ad is brought to you by InvestSmart Advice, AFSL 334107. For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies, and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees, and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest, now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service, designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.